It's Steve Mittman. Part two of Sensei Hoover's interview with Judge Steinberg is about to kick off. We go more in depth with the Castle Law, the Castle Doctrine, deadly force, reasonable force, etc. And in the midst of all this serious talk, there's a pretty funny, at least what I think, a pretty funny story thrown in there as well. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. Check it out. Thanks for listening. Mind. Body. Spirit. The martial arts are a way of life. Attack life, not others, is an insight into that life. With Sensei Tim Hoover. So it's 2 o'clock in the morning. You hear something downstairs. Somebody breaks in the house. They're in the house. You know it's wrong. And not saying that you should, but if you have a loaded gun or if you have a pistol, you look and you see and you don't know what's going on, you hear sounds and you do shoot, you have the right to use deadly force. So that's kind of really it in a nutshell. So in your house, in your castle, you have the right to use deadly force as long as that person is broken in and is inside your house. Correct? And you're in fear of, of death or serious bodily injury. So if somebody breaks in at 2 o'clock in the morning, I think most people would be in fear of death or serious bodily injury. Now, with that said, the person is going to have to gauge in the heat of this conflict right. whether or not to issue a warning to the other person to try to get the person to leave the residence without deadly force because there have been situations in which people have broken into other homes by mistake. They've been drunk and they broke into somebody's home thinking it was their own home yeah. and that they weren't armed and that the person, the homeowner, wound up killing them and then realized that the person was unarmed, they were drunk, and uh, now there is somebody dead and the person then who is responsible for the killing has their actions scrutinized most situations will result probably in a person not being charged but with that said there's no way that I could ever give you an assurance 100% that somebody would not scrutinize even that set of circumstances and come to the conclusion that the person should have exercised better judgment. Now, yeah. the Castle Doctrine has created this what's called the presumption that the person was in fear of either death or serious bodily injury. But that's nothing more than legal jargon for the fact that a judge would instruct a jury that it is presumed. But it has no binding effect on a district attorney's decision whether or not to charge. Again, I can't tell you whether a district attorney with the drunk who sort of stumbles into the home in the middle of the night, whether the district attorney would conclude that the killing was justifiable or not. Because the way the statute reads is the person against whom the force is used is in the process of unlawfully and forcibly entering or is unlawfully and forcibly entered and is present within a dwelling residence or occupied vehicle or the person against whom the force is used is or attempting to unlawfully and forcibly remove another person against that person's will. So under those set of circumstances, it's presumed that the person was in danger of death or serious bodily injury. Now you notice 
part of that includes carjacking. So if you were in the process of being carjacked, the Castle Doctrine would kick in and you'd be presumed to be in fear of death or serious bodily injury under those circumstances. So the Castle Doctrine also carries over to a vehicle? Yeah, it does. Okay. For purposes, as it explains it, or is attempting to unlawfully and forcibly remove another against the other's will from the dwelling residence or occupied vehicle. Mm. But that implies that there is a carjacking or something forcible going on. So the person has to use deadly force because it's immediately necessary to protect themselves against serious bodily injury, uh, death, kidnapping, or sexual intercourse compelled by force or threat. Okay. All right. So if the person is being faced with those set of circumstances, they, under those circumstances, could use deadly force. The Castle Doctrine expanded the situations in which deadly force could be used. Now, we're just talking about the state of Pennsylvania. Every, right. every state is different, correct? Every state is different. Everybody calls it different names. Is there a conservative state and a liberal state, a state that's that is, uh, like, I guess Texas probably would be more a little bit wide open yeah. as far as what you can I know that you can actually carry outside of the coattail. You can actually show your weapon in Texas, where in Pennsylvania you can't. I don't know Texas statute, but I agree with you. I would tend to think think that just about uh, any self-defense argument could be made in Texas. Yeah. And I think, too, what you said earlier is you're talking about a life here. It's, you're talking about life. I mean, we talk, you know, the role playing we do, especially with a reality-based system as ours, our role playing, you just role play. One thing that just slips the mind sometimes is we're dealing with a life here. You know, you disarm, you get the gun, you pull the gun away, you disarm, you get the knife, you pull the knife away. But then what happens after that? You're dealing with a life. And I think that all martial arts schools, all people should think about that a little bit more, make that a little bit more of their practice, at least discuss it. I know that something you mentioned, too, about that guy that walks up to your house two o'clock in the morning drunk. I had that happen to me. I moved into our house. As you know, we live on 40 acres of land. And um, we have a small dirt road that used to go all the way through to the other road below. But they closed it. So it was in the winter. We were just there for a year. It was the month of February. Some snow was on the ground. And, and I, I hear this knock on the door. And, um, you know, it's, I look, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I come down the steps. I grab my gun, which is right by my nightstand. And it's 2 o'clock, so I know something's wrong. And uh, I come down the steps, and I look, and our doors are glass, so I could see right through. And there's a, uh, a 20, 25-year-old male six foot, six foot two with a long trench coat on. So right away now, it sounds like I'm making this up, but you see this guy in a trench coat and it just fits this description that this trouble. Fortunately for me, I had a Great Dane lab mix in the house and he's barking like crazy. And my wife is screaming, call the police. I said, just don't do that yet. Let's just let me. And I probably, she was probably the wiser one, <laughs> call the police. But I said, just, just relax a second. I think it's okay. So I walk up to the door and said, you know, what's up? And he said, I, 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 don't, I don't know where I am. I, I need directions. I could tell he was drunk. So I still wasn't sure because he had a long trench coat. He could have a shotgun. And the mind starts to go. But one thing I will tell you is that the door was locked. He was outside. I was inside. And I had time to think. And that is the thing. If your thought process is taken away, a lot of poor judgments are made. So I had time to think. So I let the dog out of the garage. And he started circling around. And he was a tough guy, big black uh, lab, Great Dane mix. And he comes around, and I followed him around the garage way, and I approached from his backside. I had my pistol. And he said, man, I'm sorry. He said, I was partying all night, 
And he said, uh, I thought I was going in the right direction. <laughs> started to laugh a little bit because I've been there. And he said, I went down this road and I didn't know it was a dead end. And I'm down the other side and I'm stuck in the snow. And so now I have a conversation going with this guy and he seems to be okay. And I get a little closer and I said, look, just open up your jacket. Let me just make sure everything. And he did. He did not have a weapon. And now I could tell, you know, he was definitely intoxicated. I said, well, take me to your car. So we walked down. It takes us about, uh, I don't know, five minutes or so. We walked down to the end of this road with my dog. In the meantime, I hear the patrol officer coming down with the car on the other side of the lane. So I hear the cop coming, and I can hear the sirens going. My wife did call 911. We're approaching his car, and I could see he's really stuck. And I said, listen, you know, I'll have to get you out tomorrow. With my tractor. I'll do that for you. Come back. And now I look up and I see the lights and I see the cop car and I say, this guy's in trouble. So we started walking up to the police car and he's with me. And I said, look, let me talk a little bit. Tell him you're okay and all that. We get to the top. There's two policemen, myself and this guy. And um, I said, it's all right. Everything's okay. And uh, it's okay. So walk up to the squad car with me. So he does. He goes up to the squad car. And who do you think is in the car? Because they left the door open. My dog. He went into the squad car. <laughs> My dog was inside the, in the, inside the squad car with the sirens going. So he, he looked pretty cool inside the car. It actually worked. But anyway, they got the dog out. And they ended up being pretty cool because I followed up with the guy. They, uh, they took him to the local Wawa where his buddy picked him up. He did not get arrested. He came down the next day and we got his car out. So that turned out to be okay. But I could have been stupid. And I could have you know, created a situation that would have went the wrong way. But I do factor in that I had time to think. And you had was, time to think. I had time you to think. You didn't open the door for and lose your barrier of safety. Right. And in addition, let's face it, you're trained in a certain way that the average person is not trained. So yeah. it's going to be very difficult for somebody to take you over. So it's going to be very difficult for somebody to... Uh, take advantage of you or in some fashion harm you. Again. My wife does every day. Yes. You know, <laughs> if you had <laughs> if he had a gun, yes, maybe. But <laughs> but those are the types of decisions that you make. And there are all sorts of stories like that. I have a friend of a friend who wound up breaking into a funeral parlor and they wound up finding him in one of the caskets. Oh no. The next morning. So now the question becomes, let's say he had broken into the funeral parlor and had gone in and the funeral director happened to be there late at night and saw him in the funeral parlor. You don't have to retreat from your place of business either. And so the question becomes, what would have happened under those circumstances? In these circumstances, he just proceeded to lie down and uh, sleep it off in one of the caskets. Oh, you're kidding me. But That's funny. there are always those types of stories. So the average person has to be discriminating in terms of deciding whether this is the real deal, whether they're in danger of death or serious bodily injury, or whether or not this is, like you said, the drunk that uh, just happens to wander looking for some help. And some people handle it the way you do, and some people are quick to react otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really interesting. And um, again, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day, spending this time here to just break this down, because I think a lot of people have the same questions that I do. 
as to how, you know, how we exercise our physical being. You know, when is it right? When is it wrong? Can we overstep it? Go into a level of, like you said, above like force and realize that there's a responsibility with that. And that, you know, I think a lot of us see ourselves too, if we ever defend ourselves, that the police are going to respond and they're going to say, oh, nice job. You know, they're going to take us along too. They're going to look at us, like you said, they're going to look at us as if that crime might have happened. They're not going to just say, hey, yeah, you're right. You did the right thing. They're going to look at us. They're going to rip it down. So I think that the time spent here, maybe it'll help others make uh, proper decisions in the future. So I just, again, I want to thank you for being here. My pleasure. As always. Thank you for listening to Attack Life, Not Others. Subscribe to our podcast. And for more on Sensei Hoover's way of life through the martial arts, go to hooverkarate.com. This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. Creation, creation. Steve Mittman social media.com. 